Well, as we begin this series in the book of Jonah this morning, I want to ask us all a question. How would you describe the God you believe in? Because there are so many different ways of thinking about God. And if you're anything like me, your view of God will often depend on how your life is going at any given moment, on the things going on in your day. So is the God you believe in a distant authority figure, someone far removed from your life here on earth? Or is he a close friend, someone who's very near to you, he gives you a hug, a cuddle, and makes you feel everything is all right? Is he perhaps an agony uncle figure, someone you can pour your heart out to, tell all your problems to in the knowledge that he will listen to you? Or is he some sort of a, of a life coach, showing you the best way to live, the quickest route to happiness? See, our church vision statement here at Malden Road can be summed up in the phrase, delighting in God, displaying his glory. But the question we have to ask after that is, what sort of God do we delight in in this church? What sort of God do we believe in as individuals and as a community? I hope we're going to see in the next few weeks that that this book of Jonah presents us with a powerful revelation of the character of God. See, in this book, God reveals his character to Jonah in often very surprising ways. And the supreme revelation of God that comes across in this book, the revelation of the God of the Bible, the God who reveals himself through his son Jesus, is that God is a God of scandalous grace. And if we're honest, if you're a Christian here this morning, that probably doesn't come as a huge surprise to you. Because God's grace is something we sing about and we talk about quite a lot in our churches. But chapter 1 of Jonah, I think, presents God's grace in a slightly different way to the way we usually think about it. See, the opening chapter of Jonah shows us that, that God's grace is a grace that will not let us go even when we want him to. God's grace does not let go of us even when we'd rather that he did. See, I've already acknowledged that we can drift into many different ways of thinking about God in our lives. That that special friend, the agony uncle, the the life coach. But what the book of Jonah does is reacquaint us with the God of the Bible. A God who is both comforting for us to know but also a God who is a little bit frightening at times. Just look at these verses from Psalm 139. Famous words from the psalmist. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there... Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In that psalm, it's like the psalmist is flipping from times when he wants to flee from God's presence to times when he finds God's hand holding him, a comfort. And that actually is an experience many believers experience. Sometimes we want to get away from God. Sometimes we suspect that maybe 
a life lived for God is just too hard, too restrictive for us. Perhaps life without God would be a lot easier. And if you've ever felt like that this morning, if you're a Christian here and you've sometimes wondered, what would life be like if I just turned my back on God and lived for myself? Well, then you're not a million miles away from the prophet Jonah in chapter 1 of this book. Now again, the book of Jonah, it's a short book, only four chapters, but it packs in an enormous amount. As we read it, we hear about terrible storms, enormous fish, messages of judgment, and a prophet who argues tenaciously with God again and again. And it's for a great story. And that's because the narrator of this story wants us to remember it. Because the book of Jonah, it's supremely a book about God and the lessons God had to teach his reluctant prophet, Jonah. And we need to see this morning, the lessons God had to teach Jonah are lessons we all need to hear. Lessons God has had to teach his people again and again throughout history. See, the book of Jonah is in our Bibles because it reveals the character of the living God. And make no mistake, the God of Scripture is no safe and predictable God. He is a God of grace that can stagger us. A God whose will for our lives can take us completely by surprise. He is unpredictable, unsafe and startling. And Jonah chapter 1 shows us he is committed to enabling us to see who he is in this world. See, God has hard lessons for Jonah to learn in the course of this book. And Jonah stands for all of us here. In its original context, Jonah stood for Israel. But Christians can't get out of this book. We can't say, that's just Jonah. That's just thousands of years ago. Because the same lessons Jonah learned, we need to learn. And we can all be guilty of relating to God and to the world around us in the way that Jonah does here. So first of all, just how similar is Jonah to Christians in this church today? Well, we're going to see in the course of this book that Jonah, he's an orthodox believer. There's no other way of putting it. Jonah's doctrine of God is perfectly sound right the way through this book. Jonah knows God. He's not a heretic. He believes all the right things about God that a good Israelite should. The problem is that his orthodox beliefs do not prevent him from completely missing the points about God at key moments in this book. And secondly, Jonah was a willing servant of God in the past. The Old Testament records one other incident in Jonah's life outside this book, in the book of Two Kings. And there Jonah prophesied God's word during the the reign of King Jeroboam. Jonah was given a message from God and he delivered it. He was a willing servant of God. And perhaps for you this morning, you think, yeah, I, I believe the right things about God. Yes, I've actually got a good track record in following God. And thirdly, we need to see that Jonah enjoyed our relationship with God. God was in the habit of speaking to Jonah. Let me just read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 for us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
son of Amittai, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. See, God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah hears God. Jonah's problem isn't that he didn't have a relationship with God. Isn't that he didn't have a personal knowledge of him. Jonah did. And in that, Jonah is perhaps very similar to Christians living today. So the worst thing we can do with Jonah in chapter 1 and the rest of the book is simply to laugh at him or to criticise him. See, by all means, we can laugh at Jonah, but be aware that in laughing at Jonah, you're laughing at yourself. In criticising Jonah, you're criticising attitudes that you will all too easily drift into. See, if you're a Christian here this morning, Jonah acts as a warning to you. Because he was an orthodox believer. He was a willing servant of God. He enjoyed a relationship with God. And yet, by verse 3 of chapter 1, Jonah wanted to break free from God. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God speaks to Jonah. He tells him to go to the city of Nineveh and Jonah turns and runs in the opposite direction. Jonah wanted to break free from God. And why does Jonah run here? We're not given a clear answer in chapter 1. James already alluded to it. Maybe he was afraid of going to Nineveh. After all, it's one of the great cities of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were a terrifying enemy. And the thing is, other prophets had prophesied judgment on places like Nineveh in the past, but they'd done so from the relative safety of Israel's borders. But look at verse 2 again. Look at what God is asking Jonah to do. Not just to pronounce judgment, but to travel all the way to Nineveh to stand in their backyard and say, you're all going to be judged. It's one thing pronouncing judgment from a safe distance. It's another doing it right in someone's face. So fear could certainly have been a factor in Jonah's decision to run from God. Or maybe Jonah reasoned that that if he refused to go to Nineveh, God would just adjust his plan and send someone else. Again, in this period of Israel's history, there were plenty of prophets around to do God's will. It wasn't if Jonah was God's only option. See, God could easily call another, more willing prophet to go to Nineveh. So Jonah thinks, well, if I run, God's will will still be done. I'll just be clear of that responsibility. See, that could be another reason why Jonah runs from God. Now, actually, if you want to read ahead, in chapter 4, Jonah gives us his own reasons for running. But I don't want to spoil the surprise, so I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But whatever the reason, verse 3 presents us with this astonishing picture of a prophet of the Lord turning and running as fast as he can away from God. Of a prophet of God rejecting God so decisively and defiantly heading in the opposite direction. See, what are we to make of this? 
Well, again, I believe Jonah acts as a warning sign to any believer here this morning. We are all capable of running away from God in our lives, of wanting to break free from God in the belief that somehow that will make us happier, somehow that will give us the life we long for. The reasons we give for wanting to run away from God are numerous. Maybe you want an easier life. That sense of God's way is just too restrictive. I want to do my thing. I want to live the way I choose to live. Again, linked to that, we maybe want to take control of our lives. We feel that if God wasn't in control of our lives, then we would be. Then we would be the kings of our own destiny. Somehow, by turning away from God, we would be free. But there are other reasons for wanting to break free from God. Perhaps painful experiences in the past. Again, we don't know a great deal about Jonah's past. Maybe he had experienced disappointments in his relationship with God. Certainly, that is a reason I hear a lot from friends who once professed faith, who then walked away. They said, God let me down. One friend of mine would quote the words, I believed in God, he didn't believe in me. That is one reason why we walk away from God. Or perhaps there's the phenomenon known as compassion fatigue. That sense that God is always calling us to love others. God is always calling us to serve others. And there reaches a point in people's lives where they go, no, I want to live for myself. What about me, God? Jonah says, Nineveh, I don't care about Nineveh. I care about my own safety. I'm not going. See, we're all capable of responding to God's call in the way that Jonah does here, to finding reasons to not obey God. We're all very similar to Jonah. But if you find yourself thinking in those terms, as Jonah did at the beginning of this chapter, then this chapter tells us something. If you want to break free from God, Jonah tells us, you've reckoned without something. You've reckoned without the unstoppable grace of God and the hold he continues to have over his people. We've entitled this morning's sermon, Grace that will not let us go. And that applies for those times when actually we want God's grace to let us go. See, on one level, we could summarize the whole message of the book of Jonah in one phrase, which is, don't be like Jonah. It's a very short book. You might appreciate that. But, but actually, the message is far more than just that bare commandment. Because as a story, as a narrative, this book gives us powerful reasons why we shouldn't be like Jonah. Because in it, we see the effect on Jonah of his decision to run away from God. The effect on Jonah of his disobedience to God. And even just from Jonah's perspective, he is a bad advertisement for a life of breaking free from God. See, Jonah runs from God in verse 3. But in the rest of the chapter, we don't see him enjoying his freedom or rejoicing 
that he's finally free from God. Instead, Jonah shows us the misery of disobedience. Just look at verses 4 and 5 with me again. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. See, it's really vividly described here. God sends this horrific storm against this ship that Jonah's traveling on. The ship threatens to break up. The sailors on board are crying out to their gods. They're chucking cargo over the side. And what is Jonah doing? He is below deck in a deep sleep. Verse 5. Somehow, Jonah is able to sleep through all that activity. See, how is that possible? Well, one commentator on this passage really helped me understand Jonah's deep sleep here because they argued that Jonah's sleep could be seen as a symptom of depression. See, just think about it. Jonah has just fled from the living God. He has rejected God and now he's on the run from him. His prophetic career is over. He has exiled himself from his home and his family. He has directly disobeyed God. It's not that Jonah doesn't believe in God. He does. But he has just decided to reject him. And instead of a sense of liberation, a sense of relief that Jonah might have thought, he slumps into a deep, depressed sleep. That makes a lot of sense to me. A good friend of mine suffers from periodic bouts of depression. and He reacts in this way. When he's depressed, he can sleep for days on end. You'll phone him, you'll even knock on his door, and he will not respond. Nothing can wake him in those bouts of depression. And in verse 5, I believe Jonah is a picture of depression, of the misery that comes from running away from God. There's no life here. There's no joy, no relief, just guilt and exhaustion on Jonah's part. Because again, coming back to ourselves, in one sense, Jonah is sort of living the dream, isn't he? He's actually said to God, no, I'm doing it my way. And again, there's something exciting about that. Yeah, what would that be like? Would that give me freedom and happiness? But we have Jonah's response to that question. And the answer is no. To run away from God is to run away from life and light and goodness. And it is to live with guilt and remorse and that constant question of where do I fit in this world? See, in that little snapshot of Jonah in a deep, depressed sleep, in a boat that is going to sink, we have a picture of the true face of rebellion against God, of the consequences of disobedience. And alongside that misery, we can't miss the danger of disobedience that Jonah shows us. This boat is going to sink. The sailors are convinced 
of that. They're experienced men, but they say, we are going to perish without some form of divine intervention. Jonah's disobedience has put himself at risk and these sailors at risk. It is dangerous to disobey the living God. See, we're going to see in the course of this book that that God constantly reveals himself to Jonah as a God of grace, a God of forgiveness and mercy. But we cannot ever believe that to lead us to make the assumption that God is some sort of doormat. God takes disobedience seriously and it is a dangerous thing to defy the living God. If we continue in that defiance, God's judgment will not just be temporary, it will be eternal in the place the Bible calls hell. We cannot run away from God and presume that God will just turn a blind eye. God doesn't turn a blind eye to Jonah. He will not turn a blind eye to our disobedience if we persist in it. We just need to see from Jonah here. Running away from God is a bad idea. It's very obvious to say that in the middle of Jonah chapter 1. But we need that to take hold. Because there are times when that will be what we want to do. We think it will bring us happiness. But it will bring us misery. We think it will bring us life but it only places us in terrible danger. And if things were left to Jonah, then the middle of chapter 1 would be the end of the story. A miserable Jonah sinking to his death alongside a group of sailors in a storm brought about by his own foolishness and sin. But God is not finished with Jonah yet. Events are not left up to Jonah. God intervenes just as those sailors unwittingly ask him to. And God's grace, Jonah learns, is not about to let him go. See, in the middle of that storm, God shows Jonah something about himself. He shows Jonah that he is absolutely committed to revealing his character to his people. So you might think that Jonah knew God already. Again, we've seen that he was a prophet of God. He, he had served God in the past, but God had to show Jonah there was more for Jonah to learn. God had not finished with Jonah yet. God sent the storm to stop him and bring him back to himself. And if you're a Christian here this morning... God will also exercise his grace to keep hold of you and bring you to your senses. See, we need to see this this morning. If the God you believe in no longer surprises you, then I want to suggest to you the God you believe in is not the God of the Bible. And if the God you believe in finished teaching you lessons about himself a long time ago, you've now got this store of knowledge you can rest on, then again, I want to tell you, the God you believe in is not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is surprising and even bewildering 
in the ways he relates to his people. And he always has new things to teach us about himself. He is committed to revealing himself to us, even in the midst of our foolishness and our sin. Jonah thought he knew all about God, but that storm showed him there was more to learn, more to experience, and actually more to worship. Because this storm shows the enormous lengths God will go to to bring Jonah back to him. Again, Jonah was right if he thought God could just have sent another prophet. He could. God didn't need Jonah. But he wanted Jonah. And so he sent the storm to bring him back. But let's be honest, that is a pretty terrifying way of bringing someone back to you. God revealed his character to Jonah in this horrific storm where they all thought they were going to die. Experienced sailors had given up hope. And similarly for us, the grace of God in our lives will not always be comforting or gentle to us. God can bring us to our senses at times by completely exposing our need of him. By revealing just how sinful we are in ways that will, that will hurt us. Sometimes God will disillusion us. He will rob us of the things that up to now we have trusted in. Just as he robbed Jonah of his security on that boat. God will sometimes reveal his grace to us by experiences of trials and suffering. See, we need to see in Jonah, the living God is not a safe God. But in that wonderful phrase from C.S. Lewis that I am fond of quoting, describing Aslan the lion in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he isn't safe, but he is good See, next week in chapter 2 of Jonah, we're going to explore more the kindness and comfort there is in the grace of God. But we shouldn't miss chapter 1 either. Jonah experiences God's grace to him in a terrible storm. And that is sometimes how God reveals himself to us. Through a storm, through a frightening experience, a painful experience. Because in his good purposes, God wants us to lean on him. And to know him. To see that he is good and praiseworthy. And that nothing else can give us the life that we long for. God's grace is sometimes painful. But it is good. And it is born out of his enormous love for his people. So as we prepare to leave Jonah... For this week, we've seen that the foolishness and misery there is in running away from God, according to Jonah. And we've seen God's commitment to reveal his character to his people, not always in comforting ways, but in ways that are ultimately for the good of his people. But we need to see finally that this chapter shows us that God's purposes never stop at just revealing himself to his own people. See, God isn't content in this storm to just reveal his character to Jonah. He actually chooses to reveal his character 
through Jonah to the pagan sailors all around him. God reveals himself to his people and he reveals himself through his people. See, on one level in Jonah 1, the storm is all about Jonah. It's all about bringing Jonah to repentance for what he has done. It's all about God revealing himself to Jonah. But on another level, the storm isn't about Jonah at all. It's about God wanting to rescue a boatload of pagan sailors who otherwise would never have encountered his power and his mercy. See, at the same time that God is teaching Jonah, he is teaching others through Jonah. And that is the life of discipleship that God calls every Christian to. God doesn't expect us to know everything about him before he can use us. He doesn't want to iron out every flaw and bit of pettiness in our character before he can display his character through us. No, it is as we learn from God in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our sinfulness, that he reveals his character through us, through our weakness, through our frailty. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, and look at the impact Jonah has on these sailors. There is no more feeble-looking jar of clay in Scripture than Jonah here. He's rebelled against God, he's refused to do God's will, and yet, through Jonah, God reveals his character to these sailors. He reveals the character of the living God to people who do not know him. As Jonah himself puts it in verse 9, he reveals the character of the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And it's amazing because it doesn't matter that as Jonah spoke those words, he himself was guilty of great disobedience against God. God still used Jonah's words. He used Jonah's self-sacrifice in verse 12. He used the miraculous ending of the storm in verse 15 to reveal his character to these sailors. Jonah didn't have to be perfect for God to use him. And that's a great encouragement to us. Don't wait until you feel you've sorted everything out in your Christian life before you can be used by God. Because let me tell you, this side of heaven, you will never sort everything out in your Christian life. But God can use Jonah. And God can use us to reveal his character to other people. And that is what God calls us to in our sinfulness, in our foolishness, our imperfection. God has things to teach us about himself. But he also has things to communicate to others through us about himself. Those two always go hand in hand. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, please do not fall into the trap of presuming the Christians you know have everything sorted in their lives. Because we don't. This church is made up of sinful people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything good in us, 
but because of his grace towards us. And like Jonah, the Christians that you will know in your life are capable of making a terrible mess of their lives. Our obedience to Jesus is faltering, it is stumbling at times. But, my prayer for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, is that as you see the Christians around you, you wouldn't see their goodness. You would see the goodness of God. You would not see their sinlessness, but you would see God's forgiveness at work in them. You would not see the finished article, but you would see someone that God is committed to. Someone who is precious to God. And someone who invites you to join that relationship with the God of grace. See, the only hope any of us have here this morning, whether we are Christians or whether we are not Christians, is this same grace of God that he exhibits in Jonah's life. But thank God, God is willing to demonstrate his grace. And the lessons God teaches Jonah are lessons we need to learn today. A life lived in disobedience to God will just bring us misery and put us in danger. But if we respond to God's grace, he is able to reveal himself to us and reveal himself through us. And that's a treasure, isn't it? This message of the powerful, gracious, living God. It is a treasure to share with one another and with this world. It's a treasure in jars of clay. Because that is God's people. We are foolish and petty and weak. But in those jars of clay, God loves to exhibit his grace and his power. And we can trust that he will do that when we ask him to.